please have a seat. And as you, uh, as you find your seat, you can also uh, find your Bible if you have it with you. Uh, your Bible might look like this, or it uh, might look like this. So either way, you might turn it on or open it up to Luke chapter 1 this morning as we continue. Kind of this loose series through Advent we're ca- I'm calling Now We Wait. And so as you do that, just a couple of reminders that we believe about the Bible or, or really have conviction in about the Bible here at First Methodist Church. The first one's kind of a position of objectivity about the Bible, and that's this, that even though this looks like a book, it's not a book, it is a library. It's a collection of books, and over a long period of time, by a lot of different people, at least 40 authors that we know, um, in different contexts, cultures, three different languages, and three different continents. That's just kind of a, an objective statement about what the Bible is, but the second thing we always remember, and I remember as I study it, and as I, as I preach from it, is uh, moves me from this position of objectivity about the Bible to convictional belief in the Bible, and that's this, that there's no other library like this one on earth. That God really did breathe his life on these pages. He inspired the minds of the authors as they wrote these words, the hearts and the minds of the characters as they lived these stories, and he stitched all those differences across thousands of years and three continents and three languages and all of that stuff into one beautiful, unified story that leads to Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important to us. It comes right in the middle of our service because we know and we believe here that when you encounter Scripture, you encounter Jesus, and we're all about encountering Jesus at First Methodist Church. That is our mission statement, and so the words will be right up on the screen at the right time for you, or if you have them in front of you, you might see it there. But as your preacher this morning, I, I need you to know kind of where I stand and where leadership stands at this church, and that's this, that we believe the Bible is inspired, eternal and true. Inspired by God, eternal in scope, and true for salvation. And out of that conviction, I and, and we as a church have kind of taken to this habit of holding it up when we come to talk, from, talk about it on Sunday mornings, and, and you might look around and see phones and libraries in the air and all that, and just think, this is a little bit strange. You know, I, I haven't seen a church in Cameron or anywhere do this before, and, and if you said that to me, here's what I'd say to you. It is odd. <laughs> we recognize that, that this is a moment of oddity, that has the power to shape our identity as a community, as we seek to be a collection of people who are joyfully abandoned to his word and eager for the power of Jesus to be let loose in our lives. And if that's us this morning, church, then before I say anything else, why don't we pray that that same Holy Spirit who stitched this story together would inspire us as we hear it and receive it this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, but more than all of that, make our hearts to know this lesson that you have for us this morning. A lesson not just to know, but to live. And uh, make us go from this place as changed people. In the powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in this kind of loose series, Now We Wait, because Advent, I need you to know, is really all about waiting. I only came to realize that relatively recently in my life. I grew up in a church really not very unlike this one. My dad was a, was a pastor, okay? And, and, and I realized in college that I kind of had thought and had this impression about Advent that it was the pre-Christmas season, which it, it, it is pre-Christmas season, but it's so much more than that, that I, I kind of had this impression that Advent was sort of remembering and reliving the, the steps up to until Jesus was born. And, and it's nothing less than that, but it's also much more than that, that it's not just remembering and reliving that historical moment that happened 2,000 years ago, 
By the way, we don't need to relive it because it actually happened, okay? But it's also living in the present between Christ's first coming as baby and Christ's second coming as we anticipate him in glory. And so it is remembering and reliving the birth of Jesus, but it's also learning to prepare and to wait in the way that we see our, uh, our friends and our neighbors in Scripture do. So we, we often look back to the Christmas story and, and pick up lessons about how it is we prepare, how we wait. A lot of the liturgy and, and uh, lectionary readings of the time are about John the Baptist and him going out saying, prepare the Lord. So this morning we have a lesson from John the Baptist before he was ever born from his parents, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, I assume Mr. and Mrs. the Baptist. And, um, oh man, I wasn't sure if that joke was going to land or not. <laughs> Anyways, I think it's funny. Mr. and Mrs. the Baptist. And we find their story in Luke chapter 1. And uh, let me introduce you to them. Really, let's let scripture introduce you to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Mr. and Mrs. the Baptist, okay? Uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. But they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So immediately as we meet uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, we discover, uh-oh, something happened. Oh, it's still on. We discover that there's a problem. Actually, it's a big problem. And, and some of you have, have faced this problem before, and, and, and it's detrimental, and it's so painful and so hurtful. I've got friends like that, too. But on top of all of that grief and all of that anxiety about being unable to conceive, you need to know that Elizabeth and Zechariah also, this was a, a problem for their social Life. They're completely disconnected from society if they don't have kin, they don't have children. It's a problem for their economic future. It means that uh, Zechariah is going to have to work the rest of the time. A lot of priests, we, we were about to learn that Zechariah was a priest. A lot of priests didn't really need, need to work. They're supported in part by, by the, the temple giving, of course, so that, that 10%, that tithe that they were giving to the temple. But on top of that, we think that Zechariah probably had at least a small farm or some sort of operation in his old age that he was having to work in order just to, to, to exist with his wife, Elizabeth. And so this isn't just, although it's nothing less than all of the grief and, and pain of being un unable to conceive, but it's also all of this other social stuff going on. And, and Zechariah and Elizabeth are in a desperate circumstance. So one day Zechariah goes to the temple because he was a, a priest and his order was called to go and do their temple duties. Now, this is something I learned just this week, actually, that we're not talking about 10 or hundreds of priests. We're talking about thousands of priests would descend on the temple. Maybe as many as 18,000. I said, oh, see, something did change. And maybe as many as 18,000 temple priests would descend for a couple of weeks to do the temple priest thing. But here's the deal. They didn't have 18,000 unique tasks to do at the temple. Okay, that, I mean, that's a lot of tasks. So... Um, so what they would do is they'd cast lots in order to determine who would do what, okay? So here's the situation. Zechariah is in this kind of once-a-year moment, going to the temple to serve for a couple weeks, and then they cast lots, and it turns out Zechariah is the one who's going to go in and burn incense at the incense altar, and now it becomes not just a once-a-year occasion, but a once-in-a-lifetime occasion, one out of 18,000 chance that he would be called to do this, or he the lots would fall on him to do this. So on top of all of that, he goes in, he, and he, he burns the incense, and, and uh, I'm just thinking about, like, the first time I ever baptized someone, 
I, I, was, I was pretty nervous. <laughs> and I knew that wasn't a once-in-a-lifetime occasion, but I was still pretty nervous. It was actually Maxwell. And, uh, and I would mess up the words and stuff. So he's in this circumstance. He knows this once-in-a-lifetime thing. And on top of all of that, an angel shows up to him, right? The angel Gabriel. And Gabriel says, look, um, you're going to have a kid. And this is a story we see. This is a rep- repetitive story. You know, we see this several times in Scripture. But he tells Zechariah, you're going to have a kid. And Zechariah says, you've got to be kidding me. I'm old. And by the way, my wife is old. Don't tell her I said that. And, and the angel, I love the angel's response. It just feels... When I read this and, and when I study the angels respond here, it just feels so kind of like I imagine Gabriel just getting real big and, and saying these words. So that, that's kind of where my mind goes in verse 19. The angel Gabriel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak. And maybe if you have your Bible with you or just in your mind, plant these words until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. My words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. That's a callback in a way to the the lesson we learned a couple weeks ago in this series that God's plan will hold up. His word will be fulfilled. There's no uncertainty about that. And when we say we hope in the Lord, we're not saying we're uncertain about it. We're we're simply waiting and preparing for it. We hope with certainty and with courage. But God's word will be fulfilled. His plan will hold up. And Zechariah is made to be mute at this point. I love what happens next. He comes out and he's mute, okay? So he's gesturing wildly. So everyone starts to wonder, what is Zechariah doing? This should only take a few moments. The burning incense act should only take a few moments. He's in there for, we're not really told how long, but obviously longer than a few moments, enough for people to think, was he smitten? Wait, that's not what I want to say. Was he smited? Smited? Smitten? That's not smitten. Smitten means to be like cute for someone. So anyways. Was he, was he smite by God, or did he die, or did something happen, you know, is he sick? And what about our prayers that we're praying outside while he's doing this? Eventually he comes out, and he's making all these gestures, of course, because he's mute. He can't speak, and they figure out, and they piece together, well, he must, something must have happened in there by himself. He must have had some sort of vision. And Zechariah goes home, and uh, a, a few days later, Scripture says, or, or soon after that, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And she goes into seclusion for five months. So the story continues. There's sort of this interlude where Elizabeth and Mary, who were cousins, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, so that's right. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, kind of like second cousins or something like that. But Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. So they have an interaction together. And you've probably heard that part of the story. And, and uh, uh, Elizabeth hears Mary's voice. And she says, wow, who, how special is it that, I, that the mother of my Lord has come to me. She feels John leap in her womb. You know that story. And so there's that interlude. But when we turn back to really John the Baptist's story and his birth story in verse 57, this is how it goes. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. That's an interesting way to put that. That struck me this week, too. That Having a child is, is nothing less than merciful, but usually it's kind of more up, like mercy is something a little less, uh, less of an upbeat than, you know, like just, wow, this is a blessing or a celebration, you know. Usually a child is kind of just, thank you, Lord, for this blessing, for this grace. But here it seems obvious that everyone around her, and herself included, saw this as, as an act of God, as mercy to her. Been very, he'd been very merciful to her, so everyone rejoiced for that reason. In verse 59, when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony, 
They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They all exclaimed. There's no one in all your family by that name. So, and I love this reversal. First it was Zechariah using the gestures as he comes out of the sanctuary after the incense. Now it's all of them using gestures to, to him. Why were they gesturing to him? It's possible that the, the word that is used to indicate uh, Zechariah's uh, muteness might have also indicated deafness. It's used that way in some Greek. So we're not entirely sure if he was deaf or just mute or, or what it was, but regardless, we see that they are gesturing to Zechariah now to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. And to me, I want to pause right here and realize, okay, my attention shifts back to Zechariah, and I want to remember what, uh, what the angel had said to him. Do you remember? That you will be unable to speak until the baby is born. You think about the story and the timeline here. And there, there are seasons of sort of expected waiting in, in our life, like waiting for a baby to be born, the nine months, right? Like you expect to wait in that season. And, and, and when it's like that, it's easier to wait. But maybe you're not pregnant. Maybe you are. I don't, I don't know. But uh, maybe the season of waiting right now for you is, is school. A lot of us are in school. I've been in school three, three times in my life. That's an expected season of waiting. You go to school for 12 years, and you get educated, and then you get ready to go out and, and join the workforce or, or, or go to college and <laughs> do it all over again in four years or go to college again and again and do it all over again in three or four years and so on. And I've been in all those positions. So the, that schooling is sort of that expected season of waiting. Maybe an expected season of waiting for you is that promotion you're waiting for at work. If you've got a promotion schedule or, or some, some sort of a pay increase schedule and, and you've been working hard, you've been showing your worth to your, to your work and, and you're expecting and you're in that expected season of waiting or, or maybe it's a relationship. That's what dating is, isn't it? An expected season of waiting. You, you get together and you, you just kind of, you figure each other out. Is this a person that I can spend the rest of my life with? And, and am I interested in them in that way? Can, can we have a family together? Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? And you have that expected season of waiting. But the angel told Zechariah, you will be unable to speak until the baby is born. And here, when, we, when our attention shifts back to Zechariah, we realize, well, the baby's been born, hasn't he? In fact, it's eight days after the baby's been born. And we're well past the expected season of waiting now. We're into the, okay, God, <laughs> I'm ready for the answer now. God, the season of waiting is over. You're supposed to, your plan will hold up, right? So, so where is that? What does that look like? And I just imagine Zechariah is in this position of, oh, it's been eight days. He told me I could speak again when the baby was born. What is going to go on with this? And how do I wait? And for you at school, maybe it's that scholarship you've applied for. Or it's the school you've applied for, that position you've applied for outside of school. And, and you're waiting to hear back. And it's like, God, come on. I know you're there. Or it's that ring that you're waiting for in the relationship. Yeah, that, that you just like, or, or the ring that you're looking for the courage to buy if you're, if you're a dude. Okay, so it's like, you're in that overtime waiting season, or, or, or maybe, it, again, it's that job. It's like, where's that promotion I was supposed to get? They hired someone new instead of me. What's up with that? I, I, now I'm in this overtime waiting like Zechariah. And, and I want to be careful to see how Zechariah uh, reacts to this as we turn back to him in the story. It's at verse 63. So he motioned for a writing tablet. And this is just such a subtle little thing. But amidst 
all the gesturing in the story, his gesturing at first, their gesturing as at, in, in this part of the story, we see that Zechariah was not a person to just sit around and feel sorry for himself. Not in that season of waiting. Apparently he figured out the way I can communicate is to use this, this uh, writing tablet. It might have been a piece of wood with some wax on it so that you could kind of scratch words or letters into it and then kind of rub it over and, and reset it, you know. Um, thank God we have Etch-a-Sketches now, right? Amen. But anyways, <laughs> um, you know, so it might have been something like that. But either way, Zechariah apparently was not a person to just sit around and wallow in his sorrow, but he did something about it. He used that weight. And even right now in that overtime waiting period, I love what he has to say. He, he could have just said, you know, forget the circumcision. I'm tired of this. I, you know, or, well, he couldn't have said that, right? But he could have had that attitude. He could have just pointed to his wife and said, you know what she said, and that's a good piece of marriage advice, isn't it? So, uh, but he could have done that. He, he, he could have done many things. He could have just let them name the child Zechariah. But he decided instead, because we know that he's faithful and obedient to the Lord, he decided instead, to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. He used that weight. He didn't just wallow in it. He used it. I love verse 64. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how God can use the weight for your good. That if you will just hold on, God's plan will hold up. That sometimes his delay is his design to give you something better. And that's kind of what God does with the weight. But this morning, I kind of want to ask you, what are you doing with the weight? Are you just sitting on it, waiting for God to do something with it? Or are you just sitting in it, waiting in anxiety and stress and worry? Or are you using that time? What are you doing with that weight? So, so here's the lesson, I think, for me and for you this morning that, that you need to hear. Do what you can while God does what he will. Right? His plan will hold up. The angel said that. The, Surely my words will be fulfilled. There's no doubt about that part. His plan will hold up. So while he does what he will, you do what you can. It's kind of like uh, the other day I was uh, taking... Ezekiel, my youngest, I dropped Maxwell, my middle, off at school in Temple, and I was taking Zeke to the store or something, we had to run an errand, and um, pulled up to the light there on 31st Street in Temple over the highway, you know what I'm talking about, and I just gave so many of you flashbacks, it's like, oh gosh, I hate that light, but it's pretty terrible, but we pulled up, a lot of cars there, and, and uh, the, the guy next to me, in the car next to me, is, opens his window and kind of gestures, and is trying to get my attention, has that happened to you before? And, you know, usually it's kind of a bad experience, right? It's maybe, the best case scenario is like, hey, you've got a flat tire or, something, or your brake light's out or something, you know. I guess brake light would be the best experience. But, um, so I was raced, you know, and my own experience with situations like that says, don't open that window, you know. <laughs> Who knows what that guy wants or wants to do. But I opened the window and I looked over and was like, hey, you know, what's up? And across the highway roar, right, this guy says, hey, young man, Merry Christmas. God bless. He just wanted to say that, you know. And I wasn't having a particularly bad day, but, man, did that make it better. <laughs> and, and I thought afterwards, and, I, you know, I'm preparing for this. That's, that's it right there. He's doing what he can while God does what he will, right? I don't know. He apparently is Christian, at least. He probably goes to church, I'm guessing, based on his, 
his outwardness. And I thought, I could do that, right? But then I thought, no, 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 I'm too much of an introvert, uh, believe it or not. I, I, and I tried to do it a couple times, but I just, I don't know, I'm still working on it. And maybe that's something you can take if you're a great extrovert. It would be such a blessing to people. But, uh, you know, do what you can while God does what he will. Really, what we're, what we're also talking about here is, is kind of a lesson we got from Jesus um, in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and in that Sermon on the Mount, and uh, he's speaking to everyone, he's teaching all these great lessons, and he says this, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. It's that attitude, it's that what can I be doing right now in the wait, in the process, no matter the circumstance, what can I do while God does what he will, right? It might also be that way uh, in your life, with that ring you're waiting for, with that application or that uh, scholarship you, you're waiting to hear back from, in that overtime season of waiting, what can you do while God does what he will? And it's like that with our Advent candles, too. We've, we've designed the Advent season to remind us that these are all ways that we wait in hope, Peace. These are unhurried things, okay? You can't, you can't cajole hope or peace to show up in front of you right now. It's something you, waited, you wait for. It's unhurried. Love, we, cho- we chose cr- that, that, that passage in Corinthians. Because what's the first one? Love is, y'all know it, say it with confidence. Love is patient. Paul's like, hello, you can't hurry love. It's something that requires a wait. It's a way in which you wait. So again, what can you do while God does what he will in terms of love, hope, and peace, in terms of that overtime season of waiting? What are you doing with that wait? We know God's word will be fulfilled. His plan will hold up. But what are you doing? So I challenge you this week. Take one of those words, love, hope, peace, joy, and apply it in a circumstance. Love someone who you don't want to love. <laughs> Might be your spouse even in a certain circumstance. I don't know. Spread joy where devastation has hit. Share a word of hope where everything seems hopeless. Bring peace in a chaotic circumstance. Hello, we're going to have a family Christmas program at 3 (laughs) o'clock. No correlation with chaos and that, right? Bring peace in the midst of chaos. Do what you can while God does what he will. Let's pray. Almighty and merciful God, thank you that we can have such great assurance that your plan will hold up. But while we wait, Help us to be doers of your word. Inspire us to roll down a window and tell someone Merry Christmas. God bless you. Inspire us to encourage a friend as as we wait for scholarship applications together or job applications. Give us courage to have a conversation with our significant other who might be delaying some big decision that that we need to make. But whatever it is, help us to, to be unhurried in terms of love and joy and peace and hope and 
and help us to do what we can while you do what you want. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.